Most of all, Streep is great at building layers of ambiguity into a self-consciously stylized performance. That's Judy Berman of Time Magazine talking about our new review this week that is only murders in the building. As far as our old is concerned, Martin Scorsese's After Hours. I just got the Criterion edition of that terrific underrated film of Marty's oeuvre coming from 1985. He won the Best Director Palme d'Or for it if you're a fan of the Cannes Film Festival. So a good revisitation of that. And our wild card, my buddy Scott Spinelli, one of my MLB Network favorites. He's a hilarious guy. You're really going to enjoy my uh, surprise him by reading his self-published book, which came out a decade ago called Congratulations, which I really enjoyed. And we also talked to the movies of Ed Burns, personal favorite of his, which makes sense as a New York, New Jersey guy. He kind of had his run there in the 90s as far as romantic comedies were concerned. Uh, so shout out to, to Scott Spinelli's father, who I know will be listening, Italian Stallion, serve at the Yankees. Although Baby Bombers did just sweep the Astros. So good for my boy Booney and Sean Casey. And thanks to all those listening. I'm curious how the MLB Network people will receive the wild card. But I know you're here for all the movie stuff, as always. So please go to Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe, rate, and review. As usual, my stories get sidetracked. The reason I, I told Cody last week that I had car trouble, because the joke was I had to pay $40 to go to a movie theater to watch a free movie, which was a 9 a.m. viewing of The Equalizer, and then pay $40 to go home. So I was worried, was it actually worth $80 to go see The Equalizer 3, knowing I'd get the interview of Fuqua, we hoped. Of course, it naturally got sidetracked because when I said there was smoke, Chris is like, what, what do you mean? So then it becomes another story. So that really wasn't the point of my story. I didn't want to like tell the world about my car trouble. The point was, the question of the audience was, would you pay $80 to see what was really a free movie, but you're being promised the event of interviewing the director? So yes yeah. or no, I pose that question to you. Here on Cinephile, no, we ended up getting Antoine, and I thought he was terrific last week. But was it worth it that I paid $80 in Ubers to watch the movie and to interview? No. <laughs> there, I said it. Because <laughs> normally I get a free screener, and, and to your point, and you're like, I just watch it for free, and we'd get it. I'm like, hey, everybody wins. The Let's coolest part about it was getting to walk into that theater and someone be like, Adnan Verk? <laughs> you already about that. That's what I was feeling myself. I'm like, hey, I got a private screen in a movie theater. So that was cool. And thanks they got to have popcorn football. for you next time, though. I was hoping for a bottle of water, but it happens. <laughs> uh, a great week uh, in the Verk household, a very expensive week. So uh, the kids are back to school today and tomorrow. Uh, which is good news. Obviously, uh, we had a great summer, but eventually I realized either we leave the house and it's very expensive or I stay home and their brains are melting with iPads. Like it's just it's ruining their brains. So right. this past week was a lot. Monday, US Open, took two of the boys. That's a hundred bucks a ticket. That's a cheap seat at Ash for day one. We're looking at 50 bucks in transit to get there. Three trains from Hohokus because it's the same day as a Mets game. You cannot drive. There's no way too much traffic in the New York area. So Two hours, three trains, uh, pizza and margarita pizza, $18. Oh, Jesus. Sprite, $7.50. I go, what am I going to get? I get something reasonably healthy. How about the crawfish with sweet potato fries? Better than French fries. That'll be $24 to her. I'm like, Jesus. So I see uh, Milos Roundish lose, which is not surprising. He's playing Sissipas, which the kids love. What a fun name to say, Sissipas. I'm like, he's actually the seventh best player in the world. Sissipas? I'm like, yeah, he's actually really good. He does the Canadian. Okay, there's another Canadian playing. Let's go watch Felix Auger Aliassime. He loses to the American McDonald's. So I'm like, wow, 0 for 2. I'm just mush over here. Then we get to see Coco Goff, who did prevail in three sets. But one thing about tennis, I don't know if you're a big Miami, Miami Open guy, but here at the US Open, you pay the 100 bucks, you show up at 6 or 7, and you can sit at 1 a.m. Like, Djokovic played at 10.45. We left at 10 because I'm like, two hours to get home. We're not going home until midnight. But I think in terms of value with sports, tennis is actually pretty good because you can stay and watch six matches. It's really the only major sport that I've never been to. No, it's going to happen. And with your wife's family being from Jersey, what I did yeah. Wednesday, I'm sure they have done. Bruce Springsteen in New Jersey. My brother said, I didn't know you are such a huge fan. And I said, listen, Bruce in Jersey, there's certain things that are tent poles. It'd be like um, Drake in Toronto. 
It'd yeah. be like Dr. Dre or Snoop and Compton. It'd be like Pitbull, Mr. 305 in Miami. Like, I just think Bruce in Jersey, like, no, as, as an adopted New Jerseyan, and clearly the influence of my friend Michael Lombardi. By the way, his new book is out today. I just ordered it on Amazon. Should be here momentarily. Football done right. Support my man, Mike. We did the GM shuffle for years. And the two things I know about Mike, and he is Mr. New Jersey, Sopranos and Bruce. So my buddy Hoosh flies in. This is pretty impressive. He flies in from Toronto. He's an actor. For those who are not aware, Hoosh is the only guy who's so talented he can get work doing an actor straight. How do you do that? Because he flew in Monday, to, Wednesday to see me. I'm working near Secaucus. I work in Secaucus, excuse me. Meadowlands is right there. I meet him. We go see the show. He's going to fly out the next day, 7 a.m., back to Toronto. He, I got I to roll a part. I go, what part? Nothing's shooting. He's in Law & Order. I'm like, what? Law & Order, Criminal Intent, Toronto. So Toronto is still shooting stuff right now. So he's like, dude, I can't cancel. I just got the role. It's a one-day role. I'm like, did you kill somebody? I'm assuming you're a suspect. He's like, I'm a suspect. I'm like, awesome. He's like, well, I'm going to come in. We're going to see Bruce. And I go, listen, I'll pay for the ticket. You pay for your flight. I pay, I got the ticket. I got transportation. I have, I have room and board. We're going. And the thing about Springsteen is, Cody, he's 73 years old. Like, and everyone's like, dude, you got to go. Like, even I said, I'm not going to know some of the newer songs. I'm like, bro, you know Dancing in the Dark. You know Born to Run. You know Badlands. You know all the big ones. I'm like, of course. You're going to love it. And three hours, man, 73 years old. I was amazed. And it was what I thought was interesting was a cross-section of people. Like next to me is like a 16-year-old girl with her mom. I look over a bunch of dudes in their 20s. Then I see what I was expecting, which would be 50s, 60s, yeah. that, that era of like, you know, rock and roll. I think I would expect to see a Greg Cody, like your dad in the audience. Yeah. Saw a few of those guys. Jake Peavy's a big Springsteen guy. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot, a lot of MLB Network people who are definitely going to see Bruce. But I'm telling you, man, uh, 10th Avenue Freeze Out, Badlands, Born to Run, like the big ones. It was really cool to see. You said it was Meadowlands, right? I have seen Springsteen yeah. once. It was awesome. What'd you think? It was awesome. It was, okay. Oh, yeah, it was great. And um, But I'm curious. You said it was so it was an outdoor concert at a stadium? Correct. So exactly where the Giants play. Yeah. I saw you had the, the, the shorts and sandals on. Uh, flip-flops. When I first saw it, I'm like, inside arena on a yeah. night, that's not, like sandals, no-go. But you're outdoors, okay. outdoors. hot. I'm good yeah. with it. I just was okay, making good. sure that it was an outdoor event. A, a night concert indoors with yeah. the, the sandals. I was like, you got to go jeans there. A little more That's dressy. Fair. I was almost ready to call you out, but you're good with me. You you passed. I'm glad you mentioned it because I'm the most expensive thing of my week. So the U.S. Open, if we're keeping score here, $303 for the tickets. Food's 50 Transportation, $50. we are over 400 bucks. Bruce, $100 face value to be way up in the heavens. I got it for 200 bucks on whatever the hell it's called. TickPick, I think. Yeah, it sounds like TickPick, but it's TickPick. Yeah, it's TickPick. It's a weird site. Yeah. Wait, you? so you you were up in the top? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's $425 for a pair of those. Chicken fingers, okay. So took the train. That saved a little bit of money because the car is in the shop, as we all know. So we're looking at 450 for Bruce. Okay, now this is the big one. Back to the Future of the Musical, <laughs> which our anniversary was in August. But my wife had to emphasize she really wanted to take the kids. And I'm like, of course, I'm just thinking of it financially. I'm like, but, but like that's really expensive. Like, yeah, because yeah. I don't mind the cheap seat, as I just proved by going to Bruce. I don't have to have a thousand dollar floor seats. As I've said before, I took her to see Death of a Salesman. This is one of our great plays and one of our greatest actors, yeah. the late Philip Seymour Hoffman. We were three rows in the back. She fell asleep. So I realized I go, okay, I can never do this again with her. She needs to be as close as possible. I just have to, I just suck it. It's a musical or a show. Moulin Rouge, I took her 10 rows back. She loved it. It's one of her favorite movies. Great musical, actually. I'm surprised, etc. So back to the future, you go, wait. We have a four-year-old. Like he's not gonna. She goes, no, no, we're gonna babysit her for him. Like okay, okay. But the other three, I go 15, 12, and six. Okay, it's, it's your anniversary. Okay, okay. And her sister, and her, and her sister's here visiting. Her sister's awesome. I need to get her something. So I go, she's coming too. So one fifty-four to be in row R, seats one to eleven. I don't know if it starts at A, but I think I know the rest of the alphabet Z. So we weren't exactly at the front. We're at R, so we're mm, okay. They're good. Like we're in the main area, but yeah. it's not like I'm at the front. One fifty-four piece. At 920 on tickets. Uh, 
Hundo for the sitter. We're looking at 10 over a grand. Let's see, back to like, the freaking movie. Dude, I, I memorized the movie. Gotta get dinner. Oh, God, uh. New York, 150. So we're looking at uh, parking's 40. $1,140 to see Back to the Future. It's a musical. <laughs> and I'm, spoiler alert, it wasn't worth it. I could just watch the movie. Like, here's the thing. And I've realized this now. Because she sees, oh, I love that movie. I'm like, I love Beetlejuice too. Guess what? The musical's not going to be good. Yeah. It has to have great music. Otherwise, you're watching going, I liked it better with Michael Keaton. Yeah. Or I watched this and I said, I liked it better with Michael J. Fox. Like, this guy sounds like Michael J. Fox. I'm sure he's a good actor, but he's not quite the same. So what are we doing? And the songs that they've done are not really good. You know, you know what songs are good? The ones from the movie. <laughs> Huey Lewis is great because I've heard it in the movie. You know, the Alan Silvestri score, fantastic yeah. because it's iconic. So the new songs for this musical, not great. <laughs> Sets are awesome. I can appreciate Broadway. There is a couple of really cool scenes of the flying DeLorean. Spoiler alert that the car does start to fly through the audience. Like, okay, that's kind of cool. And I respect the craft, but God, this is the opposite of what we talked about last week with Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle is probably an average superhero movie, but $4 tickets, like, oh my God, this thing's like Ben Hurd. This is right. phenomenal. Whereas this case, back to, if, I, if I had $20 tickets, I'm like, oh, I love Back to the Future. It's great. I was up in the rafters. It's cool. Yeah. But for eleven forty eight, you go, oh. Were the kids good at least? Thankfully, it's a great question. My six-year-old shots is next. We needed a booster because those are our small seats. It was okay. I mean, an hour and a half in, he's like, can we leave? I'm like, well, buddy, there's still another hour. He's like, oh my God, thank God intermission came. But it, towards the end, he's like, are we almost there? We're almost there, buddy. Do well, we give the six-year-old a phone just to like no, give him a screen? No, 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 no. Actually, right before I texted him just quickly, and then she came over to shush me, the usher, very bluntly. Like, oh, they're just wow. in the lights. And she was like, phone away. I'm like, hey, she was off, off. I'm like, okay, okay, fuck it. It's off, it's off. Yeah, sorry. Okay, good. <laughs> So he hung in there, but at 15 and 12, they liked it. I bet again, just, it's just the obscene prices. So thank God we're back to school, saving some money. Let's get a little movie talk, shall we? Only Murders in the Building, which Billy Gill we had on previously to discuss. I think it was season two. Season three is now, and I wish I could get a blurb, by the way. The great Alpha Hill one, who's always listening, sends me a message from Spaceman, which I talked about last week. I thought I was the blurb for that movie poster. And I was bugging by lines. Why didn't he give me a poster? Alpha sends me a text. He found space me on the poster. <laughs> it simply says a baseball big Lebowski dash ESPN. So it does uh-huh. not say Adnan Brooks cinephile. They just took the ESPN part, which is now makes sense why Ben probably never sent me the poster. He's like, you know what? He's going to be crushed. His name actually isn't on the poster. A little offensive. It's like, oh, so, yeah. so, so ESPN said this, not me. Correct. But only murders in the building. If I can get a blurb, it's the best season yet. It really is true. At this point, it's a well-oiled machine. The casting, of course, the acting. Martin Short, who's a national treasure, he's nominated for an Emmy, whatever the hell the Emmys are happening. They're hoping January. If the strike's over by then, still find Selena Gomez a little bit grating, particularly her voice, but whatever. This one, I'm just used to it. And Steve Martin, very clever, well-written. And they've got a really interesting storyline in season three where he starts to have out-of-body experiences. I won't fool it any further, but again, it taps into Steve Martin and how good he is at physical comedy. This was a guy, of course, did the jerk way back when. But the strength of season three is the guest stars. You're getting Meryl Streep. Someone say national treasure, then that's as good as it gets getting Meryl Streep for a TV show. And she's amazing, as expected. Her and Martin Short, they, they have a little love interest storyline going, which I can't imagine for Martin Short. He's a great actor. Oh, my God, playing against Meryl Streep. And I am have a little fancy here with Meryl Streep. So um, she plays really clever. Um, she's basically a journeyman actress who Martin Short is casting in a Broadway musical. For those who haven't seen the show, he's a Broadway director, you know, kind of lapsed, but after the podcast, kind of back on back on the run. So Meryl, he kind of discovers her. She's this journeyman actress and all of a sudden gives her the role of a lifetime. The real star of the show, though, is Paul Rudd. Now, Rudd is the main actor in the show, and he's hilarious. Paul Rudd's 
sending up that idea of the self-absorbed actor and cocky and arrogant and thinks he's better than everybody else. So on the strength of Paul Rudd and especially Meryl Streep alone, I highly recommend Only Murders in the Building Season 3. I have five episodes in so far. Again, I don't want to give away too many plot points, but yes, there's a murder, which is what the show's about. Yes, it's near the building. And yes, it's involving their whole Broadway show. But again, if you haven't seen the show, I think you'd enjoy it. I'm giving this one three and a half Maple Leafs so far for Season 3. Before we get to Spinelli, and he and I went long, because when we talk, we're going to go. So I'm going to do Martin Scorsese's After Hours. I just bought the Criterion Edition, which for those who aren't aware, Criterion is like a film company. If ever I could get this podcast sponsored, my wish list would be Criterion right out of the gate, because then I would get the Criterion channel for free, which is streaming, and I could get Criterion DVDs, hopefully at a discount rate. Inevitably, I paid whatever it was on Amazon, 30 35 bucks for After Hours. You said, well... I know Martin Scorsese's worked fairly well. I know Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street, The Aviator, Gangs of New York. I've never heard of it after hours. Let me tell you about it. So the movie comes out in 1985. So Marty, at this point, he makes Raging Bull. It's his first time ever nominated for Best Director. He still feels that the film's a bit of a disappointment because commercially it did okay and critically rave reviews. Now it's viewed as one of the greatest films of all time. Many call it the best film of the 1980s. But at the time, he loses Best Director to Robert Redford. Ordinary People wins Best Picture. So after that, he does King of Comedy, which again, you ask comedians today, you ask Scott Rogowski, what's your favorite Scorsese movie? King of Comedy. It's brilliant. Jerry Lewis, De Niro. At the time, bad reviews. Scorsese always tells a story of going to a party that year. I think it was his buddy Jay Cox, who he's very close to. Entertainment Tonight had to be on. And he says he turned it. And now for the bomb of the year, the King of Comedy. He's like, oh, I know the movie didn't do that well. I like a bomb of the year. But I, since then, over time, it's done very well. But... You go off Raging Bull, you go King Comedy, then he's trying to make The Last Temptation of Christ, which is really close to his heart. That's a movie that he really wants to make, the book he loves by Nikos Kazantakis, as a guy who literally grew up intending to be a priest before, as he said, I found my vocation making motion pictures. Marty, this story as a Catholic really speaks to him. So he's trying to get funny, he's trying to get funny. Eventually, the funny falls apart. He fed it like a month before. Devastated, right? Dream project, what do I do now? And the word's starting to get around Hollywood. Hey, Martin Spurs says he's a great director, but he doesn't make any money. His movies don't make money, and so who's going to make these things? So up pops After Hours. He reads the script. It's uh, Griffin Dunn is producing it, Amy Robinson. Amy Robinson was in Mean Streets. She plays De Niro's uh, cousin, Keitel's girlfriend. So he meets with Griffin Dunn, and Griffin Dunn tells a story funny. He's the producer, but he also wants to be the star. So because we're talking to Scorsese, initially he had passed because of Last Temptation. So then it goes around to Tim Burton. So Tim Burton's interested. Then word came back around Scorsese's interested. So he calls Tim Burton. He goes, hey, this is really cool. We're going to make this movie. He's like, yeah, after hours. Good movie. Good story. Tim goes, yeah. He goes, eh, just one thing. He's like, what's that? He goes, eh, yeah. Martin Scorsese apparently wanted to do it. He's like, well, whatever. It's fine. He's like, wait, what? And he goes, well, I, we offered it to Scorsese first, but he said he couldn't do it because of the last temptation of Christ, but that movie fell apart. So well, whatever, we're good. And Tim Burton goes, if Martin Scorsese is interested, have him do it. I, I, I don't want to do it. I'm out. Griffin's like, okay. So he says he's having dinner with Scorsese and, and Marty and Amy Robinson are catching up because, again, they're friends from Main Streets. And Marty's talking with the script what he wants to do with it. And Griffin Dunn's worried. He goes, I don't know if he knows I want to be the star. I think he knows I'm the co-producer. How do I tell him the star? So at one point, he goes, we've had dinner, we've had drinks, and dessert. And I was like, hey, Marty, this is great. He's like, yeah, he talks a mile a minute. I go, hey, uh, just one thing. Um, like, I, I, I want to be the star. Marty goes, yeah, 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 I know, I know, yeah, but why? Right. And Griffin Dunn's like, well, I just, you know, you love De Niro so much. I just figured you were going to give it to De Niro. And we're like, ah, oh. like, like, like Bob, Bob's doing other stuff. We're like, oh, we, we don't, it's you, it's her. And he's like, okay, great. So he said, they start making the movie. And he goes, what was great about it for Scorsese was it was a reminder he could make a film really quickly and really efficiently. And he said, you know, back when I made Mean Streets and Taxi Driver, those were small shoots. Raging Bull was more tiring. King of Comedy, that's a long shoot, even though it's a really funny movie. 
Um, he said, New York, New York took a lot out of me. So it was a really interesting test as a filmmaker to say, can I make a low budget independent movie? Quick, dirty, we're going to do it in Soho and we're shooting it at night. 12, midnight, we're shooting until 7 a.m. Everybody good? Let's do it. So he said it was a really cool shoot, 40 days and 40 nights. And it was a really good reminder of how direction go back. You know, Cody and I are obviously big fans of comedy. It'd be like a comedian, you know, who's normally playing Madison Square Garden saying, okay, yeah. I'm just going to play some small shows no one's ever heard of. And oh my God, Chris Rock's playing tonight. That, that's what we're doing here. So it was cool to see Marty rediscover himself. And um, I like it. It's a good movie. I, I don't think it's one of his best movies, but it's funny. And the allure for him was he just loved the idea. The, the story is basically this. Griffin Dunn is a guy who loses his wallet and he's just trying to get back home and he can't get back home and everything just starts happening and the world falls in. Kafka-esque, one might say. So for Scorsese, he definitely saw the allure of trying to do a little bit of Hitchcock, right? Innocent man gone wrong. There's one shot in particular on the commentary. The cinematographer says that's a direct homage to the movie called Marnie. Michael Ballhouse, by the way, cinematographer, he also did Goodfellas with Marty. And Griffin Dunst, it was really funny because we would do a take and something inevitably bad would happen to me. I'd look over, I'd see Marty and he'd, he'd be turning his back. I would just see his shoulders hunch. He goes, <laughs> he found the movie hysterical. Like he goes, at one point I'm, I'm in the bathroom and I flush the toilet and all the water's just coming out. And I just see Marty just hunched over laughing. It was like, <laughs> he just, he just found the story hysterical. Like everything bad's happening to this guy. And he goes, clearly Marty could relate to it in some ways that this guy has a guilt complex. At one point he, he turns to God. He's like, you know, why is this happening to me? And he said when they were shooting it, they, you know, they're doing take after take. And eventually, like the woman in one of the buildings is like, is this going to take all night? They're like, I'm sorry, <laughs> sir, we're just shooting a movie. Like, like, this is what New York was like. And he said, Soho, I remember watching it thinking, this can't be real. New York City is always busy. But Soho in 1985 is that place which is deserted. Like, there was just, it's all bohemians. And Scorsese tells a story. because you know, I moved there. I lived there for a while. because I hated it. It's all those places. He goes, you got to take the one lift, the elevator to the 10th floor. 10th floor, one room. It's a big loft. Marty goes, I want to get like a you know, glass of milk. He goes, he goes, it's the kind of place, there's no 24-hour grocery stores. He goes, you don't feel like you're in Manhattan. It's not New York City. And the person he's talking to in the commentary, she starts laughing. She goes, no, no, no. She goes, friends would come over and go, hey, and can, you, can you bring milk? Bring milk and bread and stuff? Because there's, there's no 24-hour grocery store. I'm in New York City. Yet there's nothing available. And the movie even now is funnier because he has no money. And you'd be like, well, if you had your phone, you would just Venmo someone. You could get a cab somewhere. So it's... Although Scorsese even says, if there's a new interview, he goes, yeah, but it's still relevant to today. Imagine if you lost your phone. That's what it would feel like. You can't contact them. You can't text them. I have no money. I only carry a credit card. What, what do I do? So it's playing off of that idea. Even though technology has changed, I'm sure we've been in situations where like, oh, crap, how am I going to get home? And that's really the essence of this movie. Really good supporting cast, which again shows how much Marty loves movies, how much he loves comedies. In the cast is Terry Garr, who's really funny, and Cheech and Chong. Cheech and Chong have a small supporting role. And Marty goes, you of course I love Cheech and Chong. Those guys are awesome. So they're funny in the movie. Griffin Dunn is really good. Uh, Linda Fiorentino is really good in the movie. John Hurd plays a bartender. He's from Home Alone, of course. The Sopranos plays the dad. Uh, so good. It's it's a, it's a funny movie. It's quick. 97 minutes. Well shot. He said he wasn't sure about the ending. And then Michael Powell, the great director, told him, listen, sometimes movies that are like this are circular. So the whole story is about a guy getting screwed by life. Eventually, he just has to wind up back at work. And he said he showed it to Spielberg. And Spielberg gave him a couple ideas. He goes, well, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do this. But eventually, he was like, yeah, the story's about a guy after hours. Eventually, it's no longer after hours. He's back at work. Oh, we figured it out. So it's uh, it's a cool movie. After Hours, you're a fan of Scorsese. I'm sure you've heard of it. You should check it out. I bought the DVD on Criterion. I'm sure it's available somewhere on streaming. All right, that does it for me. Only Murders in the Building, three and a half. Four stars for After Hours, for me, please, I should say. Now, Scott Spinelli, my good friend. Hope you enjoyed this. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. 
In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, it's been a blast working at MLB Network, as you all know, for the last four years. And one of the great joys of my life, I'm not kidding you, is my friendship with Scott Spinelli. Every time Scotty comes by my office, it's always a good time because I don't I get to see him every day. Like, I, you know, we work at the same company, but we're working in production. He does the ticker. So anyone who loves the ticker, shout out to the ticker. Spinelli's <laughs> dominating that. And I'm working, obviously, on the six with the Herald. So I don't see him all the time. But anytime he comes by, I know it's a good time. So I want to bring that good time here, that good time vibe to Cinephile. And as a background on Scott Spinelli, He's a former stand-up comedian, which it's kind of like when someone says he's you know recovering alcoholic. Well, he, he can still drink once in a while, so he's still funny. I mean, he, he'll still do some comedy. Yeah. He just doesn't you know perform on a usual level. He's also an author, and uh, we share a love of movies. He had a great podcast. I say had, I should say it's on hiatus. Him and our, our mutual friend Serena Morales, a great music podcast. That's what she said. Is that, that's that did I mess up the title? That is the name of it. Correct. Yeah. yeah okay, grabs. I thought I was thinking something else, but it is as you would think. That's what she said. Yeah. And uh, they did have about fifty episodes. They've taken hiatus. Our friend Serena. I don't this is public knowledge. She has a child right now, so she's busy with her baby son, which we'll get into Scott and me's text message exchange while she was in labor. But <laughs> the point is, we were going to do a home and home. So I was going to go on and, and talk music, and Scott was going to come and talk movies, but screw it. He's just here to talk movies, and at some point, I'll appear on That's What She Said. With long last, Scott Spinelli making a cinephile debut. It is great to see you, my friend. I mean, I've longed to say this like a WFAN caller for so long. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Absolutely. This is, <laughs> this is. I mean, the joy of your life. You have four kids. You have a successful <laughs> career. We need to really... <laughs> those I mean those if you haven't been to the cellar with Scott Spiller, you haven't lived life in okay that's what oh, I'm man. talking about I have, and many, this, I have many friends and a girlfriend who would disagree with that assessment <laughs> joy that I bring to their I don't know what kind of numbers this pod's going to get Scotty but I'll tell you one thing yeah. 40 hearts way is buzzing oh. like we're going to get feedback from Marty Bentalto and yeah. Micah Karg and uh -huh. Chris Collins and Will Folger everyone else yep. listens and ostensibly when I had asked what you want to talk about, he said, I'd love to talk Ed Burns movies. I said, yeah, it's a really interesting time capsule. There's 90s movies, relationship comedies, and uh, the Brothers McMullen, probably the most famous one. But I like the fact we're going to do She's the One, because that's definitely got the better cast. Yeah. Jennifer Aniston, Cameron Diaz. Um, and we're also going to talk a little Albert Brooks. Over text, you told me what a fan you are defending your life. Which I'm like, oh, my God. I, I rewatched that a year or two ago. EJ Raddick, a huge fan. But I started with the fact you are an author. And I, I find this fascinating, because you and I both have written books. 
My book did not get published. You self-published yours, which I think is amazing. And the book is called Congratulations. And without further ado, from page 44. Oh, God. Well, I'm Heather Murphy, and you can masturbate to pictures of me on Facebook anytime you want. She finished. Did she just lick her lips? This smoking hot girl read my article, was using it in a conversation with me. Unless my penis was so out of practice and no longer functioned, I thought she was flirting with me. Let's read some more excerpts here. Oh, Page 18. Uh, I didn't realize this was going to be this. <laughs> Lodfi had a deep-throated voice and sounded like a badly impersonated Robert De Niro. So he looked more like a well-drawn Quasimodo. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I have more for it. This, this, this was laugh out loud. Chris came down the stairs wearing nothing but a T-shirt and boxers that seemed tenuously, and in parentheses, at best, to be covering his genitals. It was a sight we all dreaded, but strangely also took comfort in, if only because of its implicit reassurance of normality. <laughs> I should have known, frankly, as someone who listens to this podcast and listen to the authors that you have on, that A, first of all, when I got the random email from Amazon that someone had purchased my book in the last decade, because <laughs> nobody buys that book anymore, that is basically out of print, and that you would find the most salacious details therein. It's a 360-page book, and of course, you find those three excerpts. Me making fun of one of my dear friends, a talk about boxers and genitals, and uh, something else about, I forget the first one, but good Lord. <laughs> How about page 94? You should be up boning all day, all night, just getting cooter. That was Natalie speaking to the lead character, Nick Alexander. I got a couple more here for oh you. Oh, God. This, one, this is not salacious. I just love the reference. My first inclination was Goodfellas, but I nixed that idea for a number of reasons. Too much gore, too long, too Italian, too serious. After rifling through a number of choices, I settled on 10 things I hate about you with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Heath Ledger. Funny, light, romantic. I hadn't seen it in a while, so either so that one worked. And one more excerpt, and I'm going to stop doing this to oh, you. God. To paraphrase Jack Nicholson in The Departed, I ask you, when you're staring down the barrel of a naked woman, what's the difference? I thought, actually, I was pretty proud of that line. <laughs> <laughs> if we're, we're going to do a victory lap here, that line I actually liked. I would say there's about four sentences in the 360 pages that I liked. You picked yeah. up one of, the, one of the sentences. So when I, I teased you were going to be on the podcast, Chris Collins immediately texted me and goes, would you like this? And so he sends me the pictures. I'd love to tell you I actually bought the book, but Collins gave me this book. Congratulations. Oh, okay. A novel by Scott Spinelli. So by the way, I actually read the inscription, which you had read to, to Collins. What did I write? From now on, whenever you blow me up at work for trying out new stand-up material, now you can add new book material to the interruption. Yeah. Thanks for the support. I have to say, and I'm sure you experienced this as well. You know, you write a full book uh, yeah. and it's a lot of work, right? And then people then expect not only that that's good, but that you have to come up with something clever and personal for them on the spot. And it's a lot of pressure because there are certain yeah. people that would ask me this, that I had something to say for, and certain people I did not. Chris is someone who I have a number of avenues that I can go down with for two sentences to write something. But I remember yeah. I did like a little book signing Syracuse. I went to Syracuse and they put right. it up for me. And like these people, there's a couple of people asked me, and I'm like, I, I don't even, I, have, I barely even remember our friendship, let alone <laughs> what it is that I'm supposed to say in a cute, quippy way and have you remember it and love it. It's like, I, thanks for buying it, I guess. I, you know, what do you yeah. want from me here? No, I'm with you. I remember waiting for Andre Agassi. And you know what a tennis fan I am. And obviously, Federer is my favorite. I love Boris Becker, but I love Andre Agassi. And I'm waiting. It's at least an hour and a half line at a Barnes and Noble, a chapter story in Canada. It's not Barnes and Noble. And when we get to the front, I don't know what to say to Andre. And I just said to him, I go, that match against Jake Blake for the tennis fans is an epic match at the US Open. I go, that match against James Blake, one of the best I've ever seen. And he just slides in and goes, it's in there. And I'm like, wow, I went an hour and a half for that moment with Andre Agassi. Yeah. It's in there. I'm like, okay. So you're right. You really can't expect too much. But 
I love the book. Let's let's get this out of the way. One of the reasons why I found it so enjoyable was I completely read it in your voice. Yeah, I, I, I can't think of anything else in life. I'm like, I'm reading it. I can just hear Spinelli's voice the entire time. Now, Nick Alexander, I think, is a great character who I think is, is based in some part on yourself. That's correct. A guy going to Syracuse. Very funny, sarcastic, writes a column, does stand up comedy. So I'm like, oh, clearly, this is a character. If it's not de facto, Scott, certainly based in large part on him. But I, I thought it was a, that's the key to the book to me is you have to have a great central character. You have to have somebody who's interesting and captivating and funny. And what I liked is that even though he's the hero of the book and even though he may be based on you, you don't let him off the hook. Like there's this great scene with Natalie's room where she accuses him of being egotistical. Other women accuse him of being rude to women. So it's like even though maybe he's me, I, I'm not willing to, to be easy on me. Like I'll, I'll shit on myself if I have to in the course of this book, which I think made it very enjoyable because I know you and and. I, I found that aspect of it very entertaining. I like to think I've grown an iota since I graduated from college. I don't, not a hundred percent sure. I think the thing with that book was um, I really was feeling myself the second semester of senior year, uh, right. you know? And so this was like, I graduated in that weird interim time where like people still read the college newspaper. That was an actual thing. And you would think mm -hmm. I graduated in like 1978, same thing, <laughs> graduated. I wanted to be on the radio. Like what decade did I think I was coming out of school in? I, I don't know, right. it was poor planning. Someone, an adult should have sort of steered me in the right direction. But, but you wrote a column while you were at Syracuse, which was very well received. I'm yeah. guessing that's yeah, part yeah, of the book. Yeah, yeah, that's where it came from. And people were, I mean, not that you care or anybody cares and <laughs> like bragging about it, but like it was well received. It was like people I you know, I, I don't understand why. I mean, some of it was just you read it now and it's it's such lame complaining about stuff. I mean, first world no. doesn't even begin to describe some of the things I was moaning about. This girl doesn't want to talk to me. Get over yourself. Right. I mean, it was so pathetic. But I I to your point, I did let myself off the hook because I kind of was an asshole, not even kind of yeah. was. So I was like, I, if, if I couldn't, then the run, main character runs amok and it's really, it's even worse than it already is. My only criticism, and again, I love the main character. I think it's funny, it's entertaining. I read it cover to cover in less than two weeks. Love the Johnny Flynn shout out. Yeah. Uh, it, it was Johnny at Circus when you were there? He was, was yeah. Yeah, okay. I never had that level of interaction with him, but that was okay. that happened, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I loved all that. So I love Lodfi, of course. He's my favorite character of the supporting characters. A real person and a great person, by the way. Yeah, a he seems guy. like a good dude. I was like, when I was reading, I'm like, this may be based either a composite of characters or a real person. Mm -hmm. Maybe this health challenge also happened. I'm not sure, but I'm like, yeah, I could tell he's seen <laughs> like a real article. My only criticism is that. So the, the heart of the book is, is to me at least, it's this character's self-discovery and, you know, not just trying to get laid, but he's having relationships with three different women. Sure. And it's how this relationships are going to be resolved. So Lauren is the one he has the most infatuation with. Sure. Who's rocket, but she doesn't treat him well. She kind of responds to text and she ignores him. Then she's in, she's out, whatever. They have one great night and then, you know, no, no follow up. Sophia is really sweet but not willing to get down. So, so you know, the lead character, Nick's a little annoyed, like, hey, you know, I, I, I took her up for dinner. How come we can't have sex? That kind of thing. Yeah. Which, by the way, I like the fact, you know, again, the character's hard on himself, but I'm like, trust me, I know a lot of guys who would think that way. Like, hey, yeah. I put in something, you put in something. What, what, what's the issue here? And then we have the character that I found the most am amusing. I'm forgetting her name now, but the one who's, she's basically attractive and really into him, but she's annoying. Like, she's just, there's not a whole I, lot. I remember the character's real life name, but I don't remember her name in the book, actually. Yeah, it might be Rachel or Holly or something like that. I mean, so those are the three. And I, I was laughing. I said, Allison, Allison's other one. Yep. So and I'm thinking, I go, okay, this is probably going to get resolved that Lawrence is dream girl. So it'll get resolved with, and spoiler alert, I want people to, to seriously buy the book. So I'm not going to, I'm going to spoil what happened, but I'm hoping that what happens is that Nick will get with Lauren because Lauren's the one he likes the most. Mm -hmm. And I said, it's definitely not going to be Allison. She's just like a floozy. And I said, but it might be Sophia because she seems like she cares the most about him and she's genuine. 
And so the way it ends up getting resolved to me was a little too quick. Like to me, the thrust of the book, 360 minutes, I go, this is great. Who's it going to be? And then it was one chapter and it was almost like a drive-by. He's oh, with Lodfi oh, and it's like okay. one, two, three, and they go, that's it. And so I was like, okay. And I, and I, I get where you're going with it. It's like the surrogate family, in my view, I guess is the heart of Nick's story, at least in your view as the author. Mm -hmm. And he says goodbye to them and they go on and him and Lofi go to another road trip and life begins again. But to me, the climax of the story, you didn't give enough attention to. Okay, so first of all, you're the first person ever that said this book wasn't long enough. That's the, <laughs> that is the only- Oh, and I, by the way, and, and you know I love this kind of stuff because we're gonna get into the Larry Sanders show, which is my favorite show ever. And I love when things are self-referential. So I also loved a couple of times in the book, you said something like, <laughs> there's an editor's note, like if you've come this far, how much, you know, what's it gonna kill you to read a few more pages? Yeah. Or, or now I'll get to the point, it's like, okay, I could have done this 200 pages ago. I love anything like that. So that was very fun. I also, by the way, should, now that I'm thinking about it, knew that you didn't buy it because if you had, you would have detailed the full price expenditure. As you do when you go to the movies, you would have said, you know, I'm on Amazon, six ninety nine, little PC for a Spinelli <laughs> book that we know was self-published. I didn't have mine self-published, he did. Obviously, right. that's a little pricey, right. but you know what I've got to buy, I got to get the candy, I got to get the snacks for the reading. It's going to take me two weeks, six ninety nine divided by the 14 right. days. There's a holiday right. in there. You know, it's like, it's the whole thing. This is a cost of 78 cents a day for me reading this. You're exactly. absolutely right. But I know I, I, it, that was a rushed thing at the end there for sure. I mean, it was, yeah. it, if I could do that whole thing again, which I suppose yeah. I'm saying, if nothing's holding me back, I could <laughs> do it again. A second version of a self-published book yeah, exactly. that has to happen. Yeah. I mean, yeah. no, uh, truly by evidence of the fact that no one published the first one, I, <laughs> no one's going to stop me from self-publishing the second one. Um, I don't, I don't, for me, I would really, really edit it and focus it down. It was too, yeah. there was too much. There's a whole chapter on why I don't like Valentine's Day, right? Like, right. which I think is funny, but I wrote it from a perspective of a comedian, not an author. And right. one of the chief criticisms I got more often than not was like, if it's not driving the plot forward, then you don't really need this. And I would respond back to that. There is no plot. Like there's this yeah. plot. And to tie it back to Ed Burns, that was the, I kind of wrote yeah. it like, the problem for me and frankly Ed Burns, when we've those the only time we've ever been grouped <laughs> together, other than the fact that we're both alive right now, is right. that we're both making rom com making mine is past tense. I guess so yeah. is technically, but that we're both in the process of making things these rom coms for an audience of men that don't really consume these things that much. You know, mm. I mean, these kind of stories are not. We're, I'm gearing it towards a group of people that don't really want that content, and, I, and yeah. that's one of my issues with his movies is that. It's like, you know, me and a couple of my friends like these movies and that's it. You know, it's not really that wide of a berth. But I think that's good that people actually did give you feedback because I would find I mean, maybe I just am surrounded by sycophants and I choose to. But I think if I wrote a book, most people would be like, I was good. And, and, and I know they wouldn't like it by virtue of the fact they wouldn't go to detail. So if they like it, as I did, I'll tell you exactly what I liked. If they don't like it, they just kind of go, that was good. It was, it was interesting. I'm like, yeah. so that, that you didn't like it. Well, my aunt was particularly critical of it, uh, oddly enough. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's it, it was interesting because at a certain point, I don't know if this, again, this happened to you, but it's like, I didn't really care what anybody thought. Not, <laughs> not, not because I'm better than anybody. I'm not. And I know it's not that good. I know that. But right. like, I, at a certain point, I was just like, not that interesting. Because you it took me years to do it. And what yeah. was weird, and, I, and I've thought about this almost every time I come out of a movie, is you see a great movie, and then you leave and you go, that sucked, or that was great. And it took like years of these people's lives from conception to what you just saw. And, we're, and, yeah. and within 40 seconds, you're with your friend outside going, I hated that. That sucked. It's like, what? Yeah. That's it? That's all you have to say? <laughs> that's it? That's it. That, Scotty, that's one of the biggest reasons I started the podcast, is that 
I watched it with my wife, and she exactly what you just said it was good. It wasn't going to say, and I wanted to do more. Yeah, and yeah. she wasn't interested. Or people, and I go, well, screw it. I'm just going to get a podcast, and I'll do it. And nobody wants to listen to it. That's fine. I'm with right. you. There's not enough analysis given to something which takes years of someone's life. Yes. This book took you years to write, and it's more. And you said, tell me, it's good. It's more than just binary. It's not just like. Yeah. It sucks or it doesn't suck. I don't know. One more, because Collins did say to me, he found it and I agreed with him. I find it fascinating the way you self-published this because there's nothing stopping me from publishing my book at some point. So tell me when you decided, did you ever approach a literary agent? Did you go to publishers? Or did you know oh, yeah. self-publish it? Well, I'm glad you brought this up because this is some of the most uh, horrifying things I've ever gone through. So let's, yeah, let's talk about it. My mom passed away. It'll be 10 years in April. We could talk about that if you want. Um, <laughs> no, but um this was fun, actually. It was a really fun experience. I got to send my personal work out to agents and got form letters back, uh, about 50 of them. Uh, yeah. I got a couple people who said they were interested. And then, you know, you send back, I think it's five pages, maybe, or 10. I think the most I ever sent someone was 50 pages. And then, you know, this, uh, this isn't for me. The problem with the, pro the process to me is not to say that, oh, they suck because they wouldn't publish me. That's not what I don't like. I just don't yeah. like that it's just very hard to know what you're not doing, right? Like, I know you yeah. had that, um, I think her name was TJ Newman, right? Was that the yeah, one? yeah. And she had the story about like X number of rejections, let's say whatever, 40 rejections. And how do you know? You just keep going. But like, how do you know if you just suck? Like I might suck, right? Yeah. And so I would like someone to give me a little bit of feedback. They say like, hey, you're actually on the right track, but it's X, Y, Z, in my opinion, as opposed to just, you know, we're, we're going to pass. So essentially, I got to the point where I thought, all right, well, I put so much time into this, you know, to self-publish it isn't going to be really expensive. And the way it worked, at least at the time, was because um, I've written a couple other things, but they've sort of just been, you know, draft in, you know, manuscripts that haven't actually been finished. Uh, mm -hmm. But the way this one worked for me was I was just like the Amazon prints them on demand. So it's not like I have like a like a, 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 a warehouse, yeah, a warehouse of them. I got <laughs> to really move these books from November 2012. You know, let's come on. Let's go. So I, I don't have I don't have to do that. So. You know, when you frankly should have bought one a month ago to prepare for this, and you didn't, that would have immediately printed it out for you instead of borrowing it from Chris Collins. <laughs> so let's get to the money. How much does it cost to self-publish a book? Uh, all told, because I got an editor, you know, somewhere in the range of two thousand, uh, fifteen hundred to two thousand. I, I probably should have spent more because I cheaped out. This was again to be clear. This was like I probably put this in motion in two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve. Right. And I didn't, not that I'm like rolling in money now, but I certainly didn't have any then. And so right. that's probably around when you graduated. I mean, uh, oh, wait, but still, oh, okay. in, the economy was doing really well. So I was, you know, on my way up <laughs> right yeah. in that area. And I didn't, I didn't realize like, I didn't like the idea of spending an extra $500 to make it that much better or a thousand, which I would do now, let's say, uh, yeah. should have done that because there's, there's editing issues in the book that I, I'm not saying like typos necessarily, but it could be yeah. tighter. I mean, it absolutely could have been tighter, but I paid for an editor. I, I got lucky because one of my cousins, my cousin Allison, I don't know mm -hmm. if people listen to this, but she's a graphic designer and she um, she did the cover art and the back cover art and all that stuff because I wanted something yeah. minimalist. She did that. I have a f uh, family friend who's a photographer who shot the the headshot for me. So like I got, I kind of leaned on people to help with those things. And then I just looked up the rest yeah. of it, like what typeset to use and what type font and all that. It's pretty cool. I was a very That's big believer in that if it looks real because you have, yeah it looks legit like if I, I could lie to you and tell you oh my literary agent left me after the book it didn't do that well the new york times review wasn't particularly kind right uh, young <laughs> young italian jewish author the authors they never love them everyone knows that it's, it's a thing everyone knows that 
Uh, no, but I think that 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 appeal is something for me. Like my dad's an avid reader, right? He loves to read. And one of my dreams when I was writing the book was I said, I just I would love to have as is this may sound my dad to go in the bookstore and say, there's my son's book. I don't care if it's good, it's bad, if it's crap. I just that would mean so much to me because my dad just loves to read. And he loves reading so much. So to your point, when I'm reading the book, I go, it looks like a duck, you know, quacks like a duck. This feels like a real book. I may have just bought this. So I'm like, I should just, but I'm going to ask God how much this costs. I will pay to get books published yeah. and hand it to my dad. I go, dad, you never, never have to read this. I just want to prove to you I wrote a book and it looks like a book. Look, look, look and, there's my picture. And it's also, it's also a good way to chronicle who your friends are and aren't because it's a $15 total purchase, maybe less. And you can yeah. have it in your home. And I don't care if you've actually read it, but you just, if I go into your home yeah. and I don't see that spine somewhere in the house, yeah, a, we got a little bit of a problem. Or 100 percent. Twelve bucks is lunch, yes. right? For lunch, and I dedicated years of my life. Thank you. When people say, "Oh, I," you know, I actually remember this is a funny story. When at yeah. a book signing, someone came and said, "Do you have a free copy?" I was like, "What? What do you think you're doing here? I didn't break into your home and bring all these books, like, and these people that you don't know. You right. have to buy one. That's the whole point. You're supporting the thing I did, not the other yeah. one." Also, it's not like I wrote this like 900 page manual on how to like use a stereo. It's <laughs> it's at least attempting to be entertaining. Maybe it right. fails in some regards, but it's right. not. I mean, come on, 14. Don't ever buy the book. But the idea yeah. I want it for free is nuts. No, I'm with you. I'm like, you don't have to read it. Just buy it. That's your support of it. Just, if I told you at one point, Nick is doing a stand up tour for cystic fibrosis. So if I just said to you, my book sales are going towards a charity that's close to my heart. Would you do it? Of course you would. So just think of it that way. Yeah. And it's not, by the way, it's just going to my bank account, but yeah. let's just pretend yeah. it's going to a charitable. Also, account. by the way, to be clear, and this is like the podcast to talk about this, I would say I get like $3.49 a book. You know what I mean? So it's not, I need to sell for the next, I don't know, 50 to 60 decades, yeah. at, you know, at the clip that I'm going at to even make a car payment. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, it's not really, it's just, I just basically wanted to make my money back, which I did. Yeah. And I was about to say, as long as you made your money back to me, that's a win. I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. I found this all fascinating. Let's get into a little bit at Burns books here. This is great. Um, so I watched She's the One last night. I hadn't seen it in years. There's a lot to this. I mean, I'm with you that Burns' movies were really of that capsule, that era, romantic comedies, relationship movies, and, you know, independently made. So it was kind of like with your book. It was easy for him to make his money back. He wasn't putting a whole lot into it. He was writing, starring, as directing it. So one of the big takeaways of She's the One is, I never thought I'd see a film where it's Jennifer Aniston. A man doesn't want to have sex with Jennifer Aniston, and she's forced to use a vibrator. I mean, that <laughs> right away out of the gate, ten minutes in, I go, "This is really tough to believe." Here. This is stretching credibility. Well, there's a number of elements to it, and they call out their self at least they are self referential in the one, which is right. the notion that uh, a white English speaking cab driver in New York City. <laughs> I mean, come on, they call that out too. Not only that, but also as good looking as he is too. I mean, that's. He's the best right. cab driver in the history of recorded humanity, a period, right? Like there's just no, I will say, by the way, you're from, uh, you're from the outside of Toronto, right? Correct. Yeah. I was in Toronto once. The, some of the best looking people doing jobs that they do not do in America that I've ever <laughs> seen in my life, just, just like from literally like the easy pass people to the hot yeah. dog people to the people to taking tickets at the Blue Jays. Get, everyone was good looking and it was truly a sight to behold, honestly. I'm so happy you said this. So I was in Seattle for the All-Star Game, as you know, and I was at a random place and people were, I don't know, I'm having this conversation, some of them attractive people. And uh, it's funny that you mentioned, I said, well, you know, I said, Los Angeles, I go, God, there's just attractive women everywhere. These Latino women are amazing. I go, I go, Miami, I go, oh my God, these, these Latino women. The guy goes, I see a theme here. I go, no, I'm just telling you, Los Angeles is a lot of attractive women, Miami attractive women. And I said, New York City, of course. And I said, in Toronto, and he goes, hmm. 
yeah. home cooking there. I go, he goes, that, he goes, come on. I go, listen, Toronto is the new, would you agree that New York has a lot of attractive people? He goes, yeah. I go, whatever you're looking for, right? I go, Italian, Irish, Jewish, Puerto Rican. Yeah. He's like, mm-hmm. I'm like, so Toronto is the most multicultural city in Canada. It's the New York of Canada. If New York has attractive people, Toronto would be as well. I go, I know what you're thinking. You're just thinking cold and like igloos. I said, but if you've been to Toronto, particularly in the summer, yes, you'd back me up on this. And, and you know this as, a, as an avid NBA fan, as big a basketball fan as I know. What always happens? The Raptors schedule their Sunday games 1 p.m. They always win. Why? Because yeah. the guys go on hard Saturday night. Yes. Like, that's the old school thing. Like, Toronto Saturday night. Let's go. Yes. So I, I'm glad you know it's the attractive people back home. Yeah, it, it is. It's a sneaky, good looking city. Male and female, yes. of course. It's this is correct. This is non. We, <laughs> we don't judge here on Cinephile. <laughs> we don't. You know, other, right. other than other people's books that we didn't buy, I suppose. That's the one thing we do. <laughs> <laughs> but Burns, like you said, playing a cab driver. Also, Cameron Diaz playing a whore. I mean, a lot, a lot of call girl shaming in this movie. That's the one thing my rewatch was like, they're, they're a little aggressive on like how negative that is. If this movie came out today, I don't think they'd be quite as aggressive in like right. putting her down for doing that necessarily. But her character, I mean, so she she was with Ed Burns' character and she yeah. goes to his brother. Yeah. And then ends up leaving him after he kind of raises an eyebrow about her previously being a whore, ends up going with this old guy. Yeah. Like, like, what a horrible character. I can't, I can't believe she actually accepted the role, quite frankly, looking back. Yeah, there's not a lot of people that, like, of the main group that you love, right? Like, I mean, I guess you like Ed Burns, but, like, yeah. but Maxine Bonds' character, the girlfriend is, yeah. I mean, we can get to her in a second, but, <laughs> I mean, do you want me to, I can go on about her right now. <laughs> do it now. Do it now on Maxine yeah. Bonds. It's okay. So that, that was his girlfriend at the time, and she, right. she was in Brothers McMullen, and then she was also in this one. Uh, and this is basically just for those people who don't know, this is just like the updated version of Brothers McMullen, right? Like this is the right. in color, better, higher budget version of Brothers McMullen. Uh, but like what bothers me, and I've talked about this with my with a couple of friends of mine, like I don't like that all the other women that had main roles in this movie are great actresses. If you just yeah. switched her out for Amanda Pete, uh, what's Jed Apatow's wife's name? Um, uh, Leslie Mann, she's I, great in it. Leslie Mann is great in it. Cameron Diaz, Jennifer Aniston, if you just swapped and you just did musical chairs a little bit, this movie is 20% better, 30% better. She's so yeah. mediocre in this role. And I'm, listen, who am I? What am I like? You know, James Lipton of the actor's studio here. I'm going to tell you what I think about the craft. But I just, there yeah. was something, I mean, you saw it, right? It was, it, yeah. she's she's tough to take. And, and I think she really sucks down almost every scene she's in, which is unfair because everybody else is doing, I think, a good job. No, I agree. Like you've got an elite level. You mentioned the supporting cast. Amanda Pete loved the curly hair, New York accent, like old school, early Amanda Pete. John Mahoney, fantastic. Better known as Frazier's daddy. Hysterical. Unbelievable. The what island is she from? Rhode <laughs> Island. Just an unbelievable. That dad is also a very I mean, I don't know how many people, but I know that there's a certain age of people in this area, myself among yeah. them, that have dads like that or had dads like that. Like my dad is yeah. of that. Qual that my that all those things minus fishing my dad is yeah. that a hundred percent. I love the exchange. At one point, he's upset at his son. You know, after the affair is comes true, and he's and and Ed Burns is like he goes, you know, it's not a Catholic thing, and Ed goes. But you don't even you don't even you don't even believe in God. Yeah. He's like, I know, but it's still not a Catholic thing. And I go, I could definitely I've definitely oh, known yeah. people like that. They're not religious yet, but but hey, you're not being a good Catholic. But you don't even believe in God. I don't understand what the issue. Exactly. The other the other great one too is where they say to him, um, when they're talking about uh, so you wanna just let me get this straight, you wanna cheat, you don't wanna cheat on your girlfriend with your wife? Is that yeah, let me get that right. Because there is a there's a like a floating moral, a, a sliding moral scale that this movie exists on where right. everyone's not quite sure what's uh who you know who's wrong and who's right as they go through. 
Yeah, I, um, I don't remember the brother's name offhand, but what I fin- what I also found interesting Mike, is that that's uh, Mike McGlone. Mike McGlone. So what I also found interesting is this. So again, we've got name characters here, name character actors, but whatever happened to Mike McGlone after this movie? The only like, thing I know of him is the guy co-ed. Right, like that's it. So yeah. so I'm I'm perplexed watching it. I said, okay, is he not a good actor, or maybe just things didn't work out? I mean, his character is very slimy, but I mean yeah. that is that is what he's intended to be. He's a very dislikable character. I think eventually Ed Burns stopped making movies about Irish brothers, <laughs> and that that might have been the end of it, right? I mean, he shows up. I want to say he shows up in the Fitzgerald Family Christmas. I think okay. he's in a, Ed Burns. Re, not surprisingly, revisits this topic. And by the way. I would, it would be, it would be my dream if he ever listened. I, I love, this is not any sarcastic, di- I'm obsessed with this guy. I bought the book when it came out. I've seen wow. Kitty, you know what I mean? Like, come on, like this is, the only one I haven't seen is the one where he goes back in time and like fights dinosaurs or whatever that is. Yeah, I heard that one's horrendous. Down the thunder, yeah, horrible, yeah. <laughs> Travolta in uh, Gotti level bad, right? But like, <laughs> yes. I, I don't know, I don't, I've, I've seen a lot of them. So this is all coming from a place of love, just to be clear, I'm a yeah. fan. But ultimately, she's one. Where would you rank it among his oeuvre? I mean, he does these movies, like you said, and the, and that era was particularly strong as far as romantic comedies. I, listen, th- there's a lot of moments that I laughed at. The, the scene where the brothers fight, I think it's pretty funny. They put on the boxing gloves. That Old happened with somebody. me. That, that happened to my family. My brother is four years younger than me, and my parents thought it was a good idea your brother? No, not your brother Jay. That's your old. No, no, brother. no, not him. No, I would have lost. Yeah, him. yeah I was like, you made, this guy's jacked me on all reasons. Yeah, You're no, losing that, that fight. Been, that would have been a huge L, an immediate L. I, my little brother and I, and I remember they got us boxing gloves and we boxed in the kitchen and I punched him and he cried and it was so ridiculous that my parents let us do that. But yeah. um, to answer your question, I this is one of my favorites, but it's also one of my the, you know the earth you know the first love that kind of thing. I, I yeah. will give a lot of credit to the movie Purple Violets because mm. do you know Purple Violets with Deborah Messing? I don't. Um, Oh God! What's the other guy's name in that movie? Uh, Patrick. Uh, eh, it doesn't matter what his name is, but the point is, is that that movie, <laughs> um, that movie, I really love Purple Violets, and uh, it is it's just a little bit more modern. It, you know, it, it feels a little bit more relatable, and one of the main characters is a writer, so I kind of enjoyed that angle. Um, right. The, I, you know, I I'm not. Oh, and Confidence. You know, Confidence? With, confidence is great. Confidence is a great movie. But I don't think mm-hmm. he wrote Confidence. I think, no, he was just in Confidence, but it felt very much like him. It had a very yeah. thing to it. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would say Confidence, she's the one. Uh, Brothers McMullen. Brothers McMullen, Purple Violets. Purple Violets has, I'm looking it up now, I apologize. Pat, Pat no, like I'm friends with him. Patrick Wilson, I was going to call him Pat. Patrick Wilson. Oh, I like Patrick Wilson. Yeah. He's great. Yeah, uh, Purple Violets. He lives in Montclair, actually. I think he's one of Harold's neighbors. Oh, is he really? Okay, yeah. So then maybe, yeah. maybe everybody could get together for a little viewing. <laughs> Probably on like- We play our cards, right? A barbecue next year. Patrick Wilson yeah. shows up Memorial Day. Maybe on Freebie or something or, <laughs> or Pluto or Roundtube or whatever. What right. One of those are. One of these services. I, I just, I, like I said, I think the fact that you're passionate about it because there was an era, an Ed Burns movie, I think it's especially in this area, right? People are like, oh, that burns. Like, he's got a little juice. And, yeah. and he was doing it on his own way. And and as you noted earlier with the book, it's like those movies now don't really exist. Like, we're, who's making relationship comedies for men or women, quite frankly? Yeah. There's, there's, I don't really know who's doing it right now. No, no one. And there is something. It, 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 it was like he's like a, and again, I know this particular person is very problematic, so he's not like him. But in terms of the style of movie, it was like a, it was my generation's version of like Woody Allen movies, right? right. Like, the non-Jewish but still New York-centric style of movie. And I was like, this is this is just such a – it captures such a voice. Admittedly, yeah. and I love the guy, he's a one – there's a one trick to it, right? Like it's right. it's just that. And so at a certain point, I suppose you run out of that because like even some of the movies he's done recently and by recently, last like five years, 
to the same thing over and over again. He's just aged out of the title character and he plays yeah. the father or the uncle in all of these movies. But that being said, I, I'm sure you have a guy or a girl like this, that uh, some content creator, like here, this is a weird analogy, but like Fallout Boy, you, have you listened to Fallout Boy? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Right? Fall Centuries, Boy. great. Yeah, every album of the, if you like one Fallout Boy song, you like every Fallout Boy song. 100%. Because they're all the same. And I kind of like that. I like it too. I like most Def a lot. Most mm -hmm. Def, Black on Both Sides is very different from his next album and his album after that. And I respect yeah. the creative process, but Ed Burns in this analogy is the Fallout Boy character where every album yeah. is the same. And I kind of like that. I, I know that if I go to a movie of his, I'm going to get the same thing. Whereas like, if I go to a Most F album, it, it, you know, it could be a silent album. You know what I'm saying? Like right. the whole thing is just nothing. It's just on mute for 45 minutes and it's, that's all you get. So like, I, I kind of appreciate that Ed Burns has a lane and sticks to it. Yeah, I mean, so basically, I'm, I'm going to try to make the correlation. So Sugar We're Going Down is like Brothers McMullen. <laughs> Centuries is like She's the One. Uma Thurman is like Confidence. Yeah. This ain't a scene. It's an arms race. That's like, you know, Purple Violets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, if by the way, th we could put this one on the Patreon that when we do the most deaf level of the comparison. That's <laughs> we'll do that on. We'll do that on Serena and my <laughs> podcast with you. That'll be the crossover episode. So I, I wanted to do Albert Brooks, but I feel like we went long. We're probably at about 40 minutes. So maybe this is taxing the audience, but we're going to have you back. We're going to do Albert that's Brooks good. next time. And we'll you. do Defending Your Life. So that's why this is like that moment on Carson, right? If the guy's good, he calls him over. Hey, we'll come <laughs> over to the couch. We'll do, we'll do Albert Brooks next time. But I do want you to mention, that's what she said. Give us a little background for those that don't know the podcast. You can always listen to previous episodes. When's it coming back? Give me a little bit on that. Yeah. So right now we don't know when it's coming back, but all the episodes are available on all the podcast platforms. Uh, started it with my good friend, Serena Morales uh, from college. We're friends. You may know her from ESPN fame. She's now, uh, that's how you two met. She hosted sports mm -hmm. center for a number of years and now works uh, with Bally uh, sports. And um, basically the idea for this podcast came from a specific line in a DMX song where he said, <laughs> I knew she was a thug because when I met her, she had a scarf on. And I never really understood what that meant. If like <laughs> in the world, people who had scarves were thugs for some reason, it feels sort of counterintuitive. Anyway, I, right. Serena and I would joke about that kind of thing. And we said, well, why don't we do that? Why don't we just do very focused 15 to 20 minute, very digestible, you know, on your yeah. ride to work one song at a time, 50 different episodes. So it's all available. You can throw the songs were old when we did them. So they're still old now. <laughs> Uh, there's no, there's no, there's a, there's sort of a timeless, but also, you know, non-existent quality to the entire season. So no, listen, I really enjoy them and you nailed what it is about it. Cause as I said to you, I go, I don't know a lot of music, but it's very digestible. It's, it's 15 minutes. And it's a lot of popular songs. Even somebody who doesn't know a ton of music would know these songs. And, and you guys do a really good job of not only informing and giving some research, but as you would call it a Denver nug, but also being funny. Like I, I the, the, um, the time you broke down boom, boom, boom with out here brothers. Yeah. And then Serena has to say the lyric of, you know, put my booty on your face. I mean, that, I mean, that's, yeah. that's the kind of quality I'm looking for on the drive home from sea caucus. That's, I mean, you're going to get that, frankly, that and high level stuff, like where we discuss in the music video, why everyone was wearing a different color basketball Jersey, which by the way, <laughs> if I could say one other thing about, she's the one real quick before we end Please. this, the, the in closing story that the father tells the uh, Ed Burns to basically tell him, hey, like, go easy on your younger brother. It's a baseball story. Yeah, it's a baseball story. About, I love that. He says, you know, when you were in Little League and your brother grooved a pitch to you and you could have let him have it. I don't do your kid for do your kids play baseball? They do. Yeah. My eldest boy played. He's stopped playing now. He's 14. But my youngest son's six. He just started T-ball. So he's into it. Could they have ever played on opposite teams? Like, that's not how it works. Yeah, no, Black never. My, my kids are. Yeah, my yeah. kids are. Yeah, none of you said that. This is complete nonsense. That's a 
and he Ed Burns likes baseball. I know he's a baseball fan. So this yeah. notion that the central turning story of this movie is when yeah. you're playing against your brother in Little League <laughs> is absurd. That would never happen. And not only that, Little League kids <laughs> don't groove pitches. This isn't, you yeah. know, the all-star game with Cal Ripken. That's not how it works. Right. Right. Yeah, you're not good enough to even know how to group a pitch. Exactly. You just throw it and hope it works, exactly. it works out. You're aiming at that white thing near the umpire. Yeah. Like, come yeah. on. Grooving pitches. Slider and- outside corner. <laughs> what? I'm just trying to get over the play without bouncing. Exactly. I have no idea what you're talking exactly. about right now. Exactly. I love that story, obviously, because we love baseball. But now that you said about it, you completely poked holes in it. I just, I just like Mahoney's delivery. He was like, you know, 3 2 pitch. You know, he always idolized you. You couldn't just let him have it. You know, okay, I should go easy on him now. The fact that he's dating like 11, Every 12-year-old would have smashed that pitch. If my brother yeah. threw me a meatball down the plate, I'm not thinking long range as a 12-year-old. You know what? Maybe for our future relationship and depending right. upon how our lives go, I want him to have this moment. No, I'm smoking right. that pitch in the gap, period. That reminds me of your, your previous podcast of Brian Yu. The funniest observation he ever made is in When Harry Met Sally, the fact that Billy Crystal's character is taking pitches at a batting cage. <laughs> yes, yes. That's an unbelievable unbelievable spot on point by brian it absolutely is yeah <laughs> oh you gotta you gotta go watch that scene again now that's so funny uh anything else that she's the one or ed burns in general whatever you like uh no i just uh he's one of those guys i've actually gone out in the tribeca area hoping to run into him that's how pathetic i am i right. heard that he liked the restaurant walkers so i've made my girlfriend go there for overpriced drinks a number of times <laughs> um so yeah the, the obsession is real and i'd love to shake that paw just once i hope everybody else enjoyed this as much as i did he and i are going to go back to the cellar as he told me it's the best deal in manhattan live comedy for like 20 bucks how is this not sold out months in advance although you did get the tickets in advance so. i'd appreciate by the way if you stop talking about it publicly so that we can actually look at these tickets <laughs> the more you talk about it i i know what kind of numbers you guys are pulling down here probably not after this episode but in general i would let you know let's just keep it between you me and you know maybe just chris fair enough and i'm, I'm going to return this book to chris collins and then go buy this there book on amazon so at least three dollars and 19 cents going go. towards the coffers yeah. of scotch Melly. uh this is great fun man we'll do it again soon thanks so much All right, Spinelli was great. Cody was obviously doing the show, and afterwards when he saw it, he said, was that the whole thing? I mean, a little long, but hopefully people were entertained. You were doing that interview while I was, so I was watching it on mute, and, and I looked down after like 30 minutes, I'm like, they're still going. <laughs> if you like Chatty, and you like friends of mine, you're going to love next week. My dear friend Cabby is going to come on. He is as big a Spike Lee fan as I am, and there's a movie called Get on the Bus, which he and I both love. It came out, I thought it was the 25th anniversary, I'm wrong. It's actually the 27th anniversary. The movie came out October 6th. So we're going to get Cabby on next week. Anybody who's listening in Canada knows who he is. He's a massive star. And uh, we're old friends from our Ryerson days. He's a huge fan of Dan Levitard's show. So I imagine we're going to do about 10 minutes of Cabby asking me questions about Cody, Mike Ryan, commenting on the shipping container, Samson. Then we'll actually do Spike Lee and uh, the movie called Get on the Bus, which I really, really do love. Thanks so much for listening. Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, review. Happy football. Happy back to school. And I'll see you at the movies.